In the first episode of Beyond the Standard, we explored culture. In this episode, we'll be talking about telehealth. But first, let's talk about opera. Why opera and telehealth? Well, the English National Opera traces its roots back to the 1930s, and they've launched an innovative program to use singing, and specifically the kind of vocal technique that opera singers use, to help those recovering from COVID-19 regain strength and stamina in their breathing. I think they can tell the story best. Let's listen to Sheba. In week two, I started feeling a bit breathless, I had other symptoms like loss of taste, loss of smell. Um, I had digestive issues and gradually I became very weak. Um, I was dehydrated. We had to call in an ambulance and um, those fantastic people, they just took me to hospital. Uh, They did all my vitals and they found that I was severely dehydrated. Um, My oxygen levels were very low. So I was in hospital for four nights on oxygen um, and I thought, okay, that's it. That's the end of the journey. I'm home. Um, I'll feel fine in another week or so. But to my surprise, it's continued till now. I still have episodes of fatigue. I still get breathless um, and um, which impairs my daily quality of life. Sheba is one of the patients who participated in a six-week pilot program that was a partnership between ENO and the British National Health Service. Those enrolled were patients experiencing symptoms of breathlessness and anxiety eight to 12 weeks after an initial diagnosis of COVID-19. The program was designed to support and empower these patients by bringing together the musical expertise of the opera company that had no audience to perform for and the medical community that was stretched thin caring for new infections, even as those recovering were still in need of self-management. Here's Richard talking about how the pilot was introduced to him. I met with the various people that were going to be dealing with the course and who in, filled me in perfectly as to the, you know, how things were going to proceed and that it, you really did not have to be a singer to enjoy the, the process of being part of the program. The atmosphere is very much, a, I will show you how something is done and then we will mute you so that you, you're not heard by other people and you will be able to um, do your own thing in your own time being led by Susie. Uh, I find that a, a wonderful way of doing something because I then don't feel self-conscious about what's happening and I've also got Susie in the background there saying remember to breathe remember to breathe <laughs> I'm going to sing a line you sing it back here it is Summertime, and the living is easy your turn in its broadest definition telehealth is health related services and information provided via electronic technologies It allows for patient and clinician care, contact, advice, reminders, education, intervention, and monitoring. 
Today on Beyond the Standard, we'll be talking about telehealth services, telehealth platforms, and of course, ACHC's telehealth programs designed to evaluate quality across the diversity of its uses. As always, the most important question, the question that goes beyond the standard, is does what an organization is doing and the way they're doing it promote better outcomes for patients? Does the service benefit patients? Here are Sheba and Richard again, speaking of their experience with the ENO pilot. I'll give an example of uh, two weeks ago, I woke up at night feeling very anxious. Um, now I'm not an anxious person, but it's a different kind of anxiety because I felt that I wasn't getting enough oxygen in. Now, um, Susie had already taught us some exercises um, that day. I, it actually happened Thursday night itself and we have our weekly classes on Thursday. She had taught some exercises which are very easy to follow. Uh, and I started uh, using those tools to bring my anxiety down and it worked miraculously. If that weren't the case, I would probably have to call 111 or may maybe even emergency services because I didn't know what was going on with me. So ENO and Susie are actually equipping us with those tools to deal with the issue. So it's um, simple exercises like um, lullabies, which don't you don't even need to know the lyrics to it. You don't have to speak English for it. So everyone is actually included. They've thought of everything, whether you're a native English speaker, whether you're, um, uh, it doesn't matter which ethnic minority you belong to. It, it, it's everyone is included. My breathing becomes better as a result of the exercises that we undertake. The singing, I get still get a bit nervous about, but the, the breathlessness goes as a result of being taught correctly how to breathe. Let's shift now to look at the use of telehealth in an inpatient setting. Beyond the Standard is produced by Accreditation Commission for Healthcare. ACHC supports quality improvement and patient safety by offering education and accreditation services that span the continuum of care. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily represent official policy or positions of the company or companies with which the participants are affiliated. I'd like to welcome Josh Wilda, Chief Information Officer at Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, to the podcast. Metro Health has been accredited by ACHC's HFAP program since 1989. That kind of longevity speaks to the positive relationship we build with our organizations. So Josh, in addition to thanking you for your time today, I want to extend my thanks on behalf of ACHC to your whole organization for its commitment to the HFAP Acute Care Hospital Accreditation Program. Thank you, Angela, for having me on behalf of the organization. You know, our partnership with HFAP has always driven what we need to be as an organization providing that care. So we've always we've always valued the relationship that we had. So thank you for having us. Yeah, my pleasure. So um, before we get into the topic of telehealth specifically, can you tell me how you came into your role of chief information officer? I'm what I'm really after is are you an IT guy or are you a healthcare guy? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, in fact, you're kind of setting me up because I like to promote myself and my team as uh, we're healthcare professionals in the IT space and not so much IT professionals in the healthcare space. My journey 
uh, has been a long one and actually started more on the implementation side and leadership and administration in healthcare. Um, but I saw the value of how technology would help bridge that gap uh, between patient and provider, patient and organization. Um, you know, a lot of folks when they're going through school, when they're younger, their patient, their parents say, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer. Um, there's so many other aspects to healthcare delivery. And uh, myself and my team get to be a part of that delivery, um, which is really expedited where I have been in my career. And so I really started as implementation as a systems analyst and through the years have really focused on the relationship of technology and how it can bridge the gap of technology and, and healthcare needs. Um, and it's afforded me a career path uh, within the last five years, was named as the Chief Information Officer for Metro Health, and, and here we are. That's great. Um, I think a little bit later we'll talk some more about that and how you partner with other people um, within the hospital. Um, but I know that the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, and because it's healthcare and everything's an acronym, that would be CHIME, yep. um, they're really committed to encouraging the use of information technology and that Metro Health has been named um, a most wired hospital for several years running. And they have different certification criteria for that award. And one of those criterion is um, the use of telehealth technology. So I'm wondering what role does telehealth play in your IT strategy overall? That's a great question. I think that uh, that it is almost one leg of our digital health strategy. And digital health is just that branding today of how did we move from the era of implementing their implementations of EHRs and now how are we using all of these technologies to really help patient care? And so telehealth as part of our digital health strategy is really a key strategy for our whole entire organization. It's, it's all about innovating and innovating. How are we changing the settings in which patients are treated? How do we actually access and be able to treat more patients with limited resources? And so that telehealth is just one aspect of, of how do we gain access how do we use it to help manage complexity of patients depending on where they are in the continuum of care? It is one tool to be used as the organization. I think a lot of folks talk about it is the future of healthcare, and I do believe in that as well, but I think it's going to be a managed tool. You're never going to get away from the provider touch, the in-room connection. And so I think that what we'll see from the telehealth and where we're driving is that it is part of a, uh, a tool set to say, where are you in your care? Uh, is it a tool that could be used for transactional or chronic disease management? But it also encompasses a lot of other things, face-to-face -face visits, care management type uh, programs. And so I think it's, uh, it's not in and of itself a, a strategy. I think it's just one leg of an overall care strategy for Metro. And so right now, are you using it for um, all of those sorts of things? Are you doing it for provider, patient, um, meetings are you doing it for remote patient monitoring um, yes all all of the above um and that's how we've kind of tried to craft our, our telehealth story is what are our patients lives and how do they how do they graduate between programs and their needs um so we have uh healthy individuals that might just be using something like a patient portal uh just to manage their family and manage their own care but then they get into a acute condition and so we have a delivery programs of potentially video visits, telephonic visits, asynchronous visits to kind of help within their daily living. We're looking at um, implementing, we've, we've partnered with an organization we're currently implementing a general digital health kit for some of those physical exam uh, situations that you can get actually at home. The biggest use case that you see is I'm, I'm, I'm a parent of some young children. 
they have earaches late at night. How do I get that doctor to actually see the ear? Um, so we're having those health kit conditions and conversations. And then we're getting into larger programs as far as remote patient monitoring for chronic disease management, for discharging patients. It was one of our busy, big, biggest telehealth successes for COVID. Uh, we did roll out remote patient monitoring to get patients out of the hospital and respite at home to drive care better, but we were able to monitor those folks. So all of those tools that I mentioned, along with a lot of others, uh, really help that, that continuum of care of knowing where the patient is, where are they in their care delivery needs, and then what are the proper tools to help drive compliance, uh, cooperation, coordination between the care team and the patient. Yeah. Now, I, I'm going to imagine that um, COVID has had an impact on accelerating your use of telehealth. Um, am I right there? You're spot on. I think that, uh, you know, you mentioned our most wired. We're also him stage seven. And those were really roadmaps to, to make sure that we had the infrastructure that we could pivot very quickly. We had a strategy uh, for telehealth. And it was interesting because I think a lot of folks who had those strategies, oh, it's a two to three to four year strategy, even to roll out just video visits because of all the complications that can happen. And then when COVID hit, we went from having a year and a half video visit rollout strategy, we were in the middle of that for the entire organization to a almost a 48 hour turnover of turning on video visits and having every one of our specialists and every one of our primary care physicians being able to see patients remotely. And so I think COVID was just the catalyst for folks that were kind of on the edge of, of how to use telehealth and where, where do you go with it, kind of those early adopters were pushed over the edge. I think it also helped streamline a lot of the barriers that you see is with payers and how are they going to accept the care? Is the care and quality really going to be there? And I think they're seeing that that is really occurring with the management of these tools. Yeah. Um, did you find that there was more resistance or any resistance um, on the part of your providers or on the part of patients? Not at all. And I, and I think that was because of the actual event of COVID. You know, I think if it was just the you know general day to day rollout, just like with EMRs, it's very impactful. You know, we talk about patients and how they use the telehealth platform. But it is another avenue for providers to have to learn how to treat patients. It can be very exhausting to go from a setting of just doing video visits every single day. So I think when COVID hit, it was a necessity for us as an organization to keep seeing patients. Early on, just like a lot of other organizations, we shut down a lot of our practices. And how are we going to see those patients? And, and you know, we patients didn't stop having heart disease, didn't stop having diabetes. And so they still needed to be treated. And so we had the opportunity to roll that out and it was more of a, you know, uh, a really an adoption of everyone wanting to use it and being everyone together forced over that edge. And I think that is key. You know, when you look at all these strategies, whether it's a catalyst like a, a like a, a pandemic epidemic, or if it's just your, your typical rollout strategy, why I say I'm a healthcare professional first, you have to understand that impact and you have to get that buy-in before it's just, well, I'm smart. I know this is a good tool to connect to patients. We're just going to do it and impact your day-to-day. -day. You've got a partner, and COVID helped drive yeah. a lot of that partnership. 
So I, I hear both sides of, of you talking there when you're talking about the, the rollout plan. That's kind of your the IT guy side of you. It is. Um, you know, we were planful and we knew how long it would take to implement this and, and it was going to be a very stepwise process. But I'm also hearing the healthcare professional side of you as you're talking about the, the impact on both the providers and the patients. Um, so clearly this was a, a team activity. And I'm wondering if you could speak to how, who, who you engaged with within your organization um, to, to do the kind of planning that had to happen, um, but very quickly. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, first and foremost, I'd be started with kind of our IT group and what were our capabilities. But outside of that, um, we have strong partnerships across the board in the organization with who are the key constituents and components of that. At Metro Health, we have a clinical informatics steering committee that's made up of a cross section of both clinical and non-clinical folks that we really use to set and drive some of these strategies. So that includes both providers, it includes mid-levels, it includes some administrative like legal compliance and some of those areas. Um, what we did is we, we have a, a really good core provider group that actually partners a lot with IT. That is very key for us to have that we bring into projects. And so even in our telehealth journey, uh, we took a day and took a lot of those folks out of a practice and uh, went to one of our sites and did like a soft go live internally where they vetted out a product. And actually we had to pivot from a product because of that day. And if it wasn't for our partnership, it would have been the typical path of here's an IT product. Let's just implement it and hopefully it goes well as opposed to those partnerships. Um, another key thing that we're doing is we have patient advisory councils across the organization and we actually have one dedicated for digital health. And so we have about seven or eight community members that have volunteered to meet with my CMIO, Dr. Lance Owens and myself and our um, CIN, and they meet with us monthly and are looking at what are our digital health strategies? Are we using those to uh, connect to the patient? What are they actually seeing at other organizations that we should be bringing in? That all informs the ecosystem of what is the best options for our patients and what do they wanna see and what do they wanna have happen? I think that is key with telehealth. It's pretty easy. And I think a lot of people assume even before COVID, well, it's just WebEx. It's just a video visit. It's just a Zoom. It's just a Teams. How difficult can this be? Um, but you really have to think about really the impact of how do we do these kind of uh, visits with patients and how do I still connect with them? What's the dialogue like? It's a lot different to be in a room with a patient than it is to be over the phone and, and have all of those distractions and have all the things to manage through. So without those key partnerships, we could not roll this out. It would have just been a flip of a switch and the technology would have been there, but the adoption would have been poor. Yeah, so so we're kind of talking about the translation from bedside manner to website manner. Yeah. Um, and, and now what we have are patient provider relationships that are moderated through a digital experience. So what do you do to address um, the potential of a cold experience for patients? Yeah, so we're, we're trying to, we're trying, we actually are partnering with our, we have a physician well-being group that mm -hmm. we're, we're using to maximize. How do we use them to really train how the technology should work so it's not invasive? in our conversation. You know, Angela, you and I, even before this meeting, right, I had technical difficulties coming into it. Now imagine if I was a patient, I couldn't log in, my heart rate goes up, now I'm nervous because of that, now I'm trying to connect. And how does a provider now interact with that kind of a situation and that kind of, of training is needed 
to really craft how do we interact as, as a provider group with our patients. Our key goal in every single technology that we choose is it has to enhance the provider-patient relationship. It cannot get in the way of it. It is actually a core principle of what we're trying to meet from a strategy standpoint. Our CMIO and physician team are very much aligned to when we bring in technologies is kind of go, okay, is this going to get in the way? Is it more complicated? Um, or is it something that is easy for both patient and provider to use and just helps us connect more? And that actually has to be one of our top kind of uh, litmus tests around is that product going to work? And so all of our products are, are calculated, chosen because of that need. Um, and I think it also lends itself with we don't let the technology drive the relationship. It's still um, phone calls to patients and having good conversations with them. It's still follow-up calls. It's being able to pivot and teaching these providers of what tool is best for what interaction. Uh, my wife happens to be a provider, and I remember her coming home when we first went live with these and how she said this, she was practicing for about seven years now. She said it was the most exhausting to be on this type of visit every single day. Um, you know, when a patient's in a room with a provider, they really have a lot of attention. When you're on this, we all get distracted. What's going on in the background? What's happening? And she said it was a really different way of diagnosing, of talking with the patient. And now as, as COVID has lifted, I think COVID was a really good catalyst because it taught our providers, what is it a good tool to use? For what kind of conditions? For what kind of conversations? And what other conversations and being open and honest and transparent and going, you know, Angela, we're trying to do this via video visit. I really need you to come in and really having setting those expectations. So we're working with our provider wellness group on how do we train providers more for those technologies. We really make sure that um, when we put up pilots, that that is some of the, the, the key performance indicators. It's less about the, the technology uptime. It's more about did the technology get in the way of you actually interacting with the patient? That. That's great. I'm I'm really hearing that um, while COVID accelerated this for you, um, you're you're finding that it is a successful way to improve access. Um, um, and it's telehealth. This is the sort of the beginning, not the culmination. You're 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 right there. I think the telehealth. When you talk of that, um, we've been doing it for years. I like to say, you know, people think of telehealth, they go right to video, and I go, listen, we've been doing phone calls for many years, and that's a, a form of telehealth. So we've already been crafted around some of that. It is really just one leg, as I like to say, of what is the digital health to help drive our patients. Uh, we also do this as an organization to go, what's our bricks and mortar strategy of building a building, of moving into a new practice? But we also have to pair that parallel that today with how do we do that with technical and digital health as well? So we have parallel technologies and parallel strategies of here's bricks and mortar, but how do we flex that bricks and mortar using technology to change up how an exam room is being used today for a face-to-face -face visit? And then the next visit happens to be a, a consulting call where I bring in my parents from across the from across the state because they want to be a part of my visit and really crafting and honing that experience. And so I think that's key that telehealth is just one component to a whole digital health transformation strategy. Thank you so much, Josh. I really appreciate your time today. I've been speaking with Josh Wilda, Chief Information Officer at Metro Health, University of Michigan Health. I'm joined right now by Doug Lang, Vice President of Client Growth for Health Recovery Solutions. Doug, thank you for being with me today. Thanks for having me, Angela. It's a pleasure to be here.
Well, we've, we've talked a little bit about telehealth in the past, and we know that it can mean lots of different things in lots of different settings. Um, so maybe let's start by having you talk about the evolution of telehealth. Yeah, telehealth has really evolved quite a bit since its inception. People think it's relatively new, and it's not. It's been around for about 30 years now. And initially, it was connecting providers to providers. So there was an issue where these rural clinics were having trouble caring for complex patients like stroke, ICU, NICU, and they wanted to connect them with specialists at their sort of central hub. So they were using cards and TVs uh, to really connect those providers in real time to provide care on a high acuity basis to a lot of these complex patients. What that's evolved into over the last, you know, maybe 10 years or so has really now been connecting providers to patients. So enabling patients to be cared for in different settings. So some of them can live in rural areas, hours away from a clinic, a doctor's office, a hospital, or in inner cities as well, where it's hard to get care. So really increasing access and the level of care uh, to those patients has been critical. And now a lot of telemedicine and telehealth is really focused on consumerism and connecting uh, providers to patients. And that's how it's evolved. And I think COVID has really accelerated that process. And now obviously people are getting uh, really high level of care without ever leaving their homes. It's, it's interesting. It's been um, a solution to a series of different problems. And as it has solved one problem, um, then, you know, the light bulbs go off and people see other places to use it. Now, I know that Health Recovery Solutions has a very specific niche within this. Um, and you've been around for a long time, even though your business has exploded with uh, COVID. Um, nice to see some silver linings there. Um, could you tell me a little bit about how HRS came to be? Tell me your, your origin story, if you will. Well, we're very mission-driven at HRS. A lot of that has to go back to how we were founded. So in 2012, our CEO, Jared Bauer, was actually getting his MBA at Johns Hopkins, and his grandmother was readmitted to the hospital for exacerbation of her heart failure. And he found that really concerning and started doing research on how that could possibly be avoided. And he found really a lot of similarities across all populations, whether it's around medication adherence, health literacy, a lack of caregiver support that really led to a lot of readmissions across multiple populations. So he partnered with his two classmates at Villanova, Rohan Yudashi and Dan Pierce, uh, to form HRS. And since then, we've now expanded to work with providers across the entire spectrum, whether it's home health, hospice, palliative care, large physician groups, uh, hospitals, hospitals and health systems, and also payers and providers now across the entire healthcare landscape. Tell me specifically, how are you working with them? That's a great question. And we're specifically focused on remote patient monitoring. Uh, so what we're doing is Post-discharge from the hospital is our typical scenario where instead of just giving the patient to their primary care physician and losing all connection to them, they're giving them a kit which includes a tablet and peripheral devices where they can deploy educational material, ask survey questions, uh, get trends through biometric information, and stay engaged with that patient as they transition to the home environment 
and help them improve their self-management and help them recover from their condition instead of once again losing touch of that patient and unfortunately a lot of them may end up back in the ED. So this is a great way to stay engaged and ultimately lower hospitalization and readmission rates. That That's really important. Um, and And what has COVID done for your company? Yeah, a rising tide lifts all shifts. So what COVID has done, first of all, is really eliminate all the barriers, both legislatively and from a reimbursement perspective around adopting telehealth. So it was like someone took a magic wand and just all of those obstacles vanished and really accelerated the entire process of providers uh, embracing and scaling telehealth, which was significant. And then obviously there were a lot of access issues as far as providing providers caring for their patients. So this is a way that providers can engage those patients across different settings. So whether that was in a skilled nursing facility, which were obviously COVID hotbeds, assisted living facilities, or patients in their own home, they were able to care for them in the safety of that environment versus bringing them into the hospital where they could be exposed to COVID um, and they also just had limited capacity for to care for patients above and beyond the COVID patients that they were currently managing. Right. So it really gave explosive growth to uh, the adoption and expansion of both telehealth and telemedicine. So when um, we think about the, the patients that you're serving, um, I, I have to imagine that these are not all people who are um, super technologically savvy. Um, what what kind of educational process do you have to go through or, or am I wrong? No, I think you're right to some extent. We do deal with mostly an aging population that may be unfamiliar with technology. The average age of our patient is 83. However, we make the device as simple to use as possible. So when I talk about a tablet, it's not your typical iPad uh, where you have to navigate it uh, and you can do multiple functions like shopping, watch videos, play video games. This is really a totally managed device that is just for the care of the patient. So they have to do little more than turn it on. And then we also provide connected devices so the patient can just utilize the device and all the data streams automatically uh, to the platform. So there's very little for them to do. We make it as easy as possible. However, the one thing I will say that we talk about silver linings of COVID and one of them is that uh, the patient population has become a lot more technologically savvy. So these aging seniors are using FaceTime to connect with their children and grandkids. So they are familiar with the devices and the technology itself. That's, that's awesome. Uh, glad to hear that everybody's everybody's getting more technologically savvy. Um, HRS partnered with ACHC in the development of a telehealth distinction. Um, and this is an add-on for some of our accreditation programs, including home health and private duty and behavioral health. Um, and I'm, I'm curious as to why you were interested in partnering with us and, and what role you think accreditation has to play in telehealth in the future. Although we think telehealth has come a long way, and it certainly has, I would still say it's a little bit of the Wild West. 
Um, so we have just like sort of you talk about words like organic and green and they've sort of been diluted and people are wondering what that means. I think it's now time to put some accreditation and some standardization around telehealth. So we have a variety of partners and some of those partners may just want to check a box. Telehealth is obviously a buzzword and leadership might want them uh, to implement a platform so they can offer it to your patients. But then there also are partners that realize the value of uh, enterprise level solution that can be scaled across multiple populations and really want to become really leaders in this space. And I think for them, it's important to draw lines of distinction and enable them to get some accreditation, sort of signifying that they are leaders in the pack. Also at HRS, uh, we firmly believe that telehealth is a skill set, not just a technology. So it goes above and beyond giving patients an iPad and connected devices. We talk about website manner and virtual visits and what that skill set is. And we think that's critical uh, to running a successful program. So having the ability to train those frontline care teams and allow those skill sets and also give them an accreditation process that acknowledges those skill sets and distinguishes them from other care providers, I think is important. So HRS is really supportive in this process. It's really interesting to hear you talk about website manner as opposed to bedside manner. Um, we, we often think about the fact that the patients have to become comfortable with the technology, but it's also the providers. Um, so it's, it's great that you've got a solution that, that comes at it from both sides. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time today, Doug. Jose Domingos, the president and CEO of ACHC, joins me now. Thanks, Jose, for being here to talk about telehealth. It is certainly having quite a moment. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And it um, should be an interesting topic for us to get into. Yeah. So we've, um, in talking to different people over the past few days, we've heard a lot of different definitions of telehealth. Um, can you talk to me about what it is for ACHC? Sure. Um, and I think I think probably, you know, the pandemic has changed things. Obviously, we are in a state that is we wouldn't consider normal. And I think telehealth probably came into play. Not probably. It did come into play well before the pandemic hit. I personally uh, used it once when I had a, a sin what I thought was a sinus infection. Um, it was by far the quickest and best medical experience I've ever had, to be perfectly honest. Really? Uh, I was uh, to the point where I started promoting it afterwards because it was that simple. Within 15 minutes, I was quote unquote seen. I was diagnosed and a prescription was called in. It was by far the best uh, medical experience that I've ever had. I believe that telehealth and telemedicine will facilitate that practice and actually promote better routine medical care and improve the use of preventative medicine as opposed to reacting to acute situations. I also believe that there are other telehealth segments that can greatly benefit from remote and readily accessible uh, care, such as behavioral health. Uh, I think we're just starting to see what I hope is a movement towards the importance of treating our mind um, as high of a priority as treating our physical well-being. And I believe that there's a, a much broader need for these services in the current population that's, that's being treated. The pandemic, I think, demonstrated that. As the population was put in a situation they hadn't really experienced before, um, it required new coping skills and, and access to resources that could serve 
uh, as a support network to manage through them. And, uh, and I also believe that the acceptance of these methods is also generational. Starting with Generation Y, the use of technology is not only accepted, it's almost expected. And I, I'm not judging one way or the other, but I believe that many of that generation and beyond would rather text than have a live conversation. Um, and I believe this lends itself to the use of technology as an obvious solution. The solution. I, I, I think you're right there. Excuse me for interrupting, but it's interesting that you mentioned this because when I was talking to Doug Lang about remote patient monitoring, um, he was saying that the average age of the patients that they're providing care for is is in the mid 80s. Um, and I asked him about their acceptance of the technology. And to your point um, about the expectation of a younger generation, he said that an awful lot of them were quite familiar with the technology because their grandchildren insisted on, on FaceTime. And again, because of the COVID-19 separation of families, it has become normalized to communicate in this way. So I think you're making a really important point there. But, and to that point, I, I think that this type of solution can benefit the rest of us as well, um, even though we may or may not fall within that, that, uh, those ranges that we were talking about. You know, relative to the pandemic, I, I think it's exacerbated the situation. It, it forced us to more quickly develop the solution during a time when personal contact was not only discouraged, but potentially dangerous. Uh, especially earlier, early on when we didn't quite know how to handle what was being thrown at us. Uh, you know, the example of the, the English National Opera's Breathe program that opened the podcast was a great example of innovative and multidisciplinary collaboration that might not have happened without COVID-19. Yep, that's absolutely true. So we've talked about a, a kind of a range of definitions for telehealth. Well, what is it for ACHC? Well, it, really, uh, the reason that, that we launched the telehealth program in the first place is, uh, honestly, we saw it coming. Not the pandemic, but uh, the evolution of, of this telemedicine and technology being more widespread use of that technology in care. Um, you know, the, the evolution of this modality as a personal care solution. Uh, to me, it, it's actually very analogous with medical tourism. It's a great cost-effective solution as long as everything goes well. A rash of negative outcomes can kill it as quickly as it, as it got started. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that to me that when you have an opportunity for a quickly expanding solution and additional revenue streams that come along with that, there's a need to ensure a consistent level of quality and to minimize the opportunity for fraud. Um, we've seen it play out in every growing uh, market uh, opportunity that there has been. And we feel that accreditation plays an important role in improving and maintaining quality throughout that process in reducing the opportunity for fraud, as long as the accreditor holds themselves and the providers they accredit to a high standard. So I think we have to take a step back because um, we've gotten right into what we're doing with, with our telehealth programs, but I don't know that we've described what it is. So right now, ACHC is offering um, what is known as a distinction in telehealth. So for example, if we are accrediting a home health agency or a behavioral health provider and they are providing telehealth services, they can add this distinction to their accreditation. Exactly, that's, that's exactly it. 
And we're prepared to go one step further with telehealth certification. Um, th there's more to come on that, but uh, we've worked with industry partners and leaders like Health Recovery Solutions that has been offering remote patient monitoring for a decade uh, with the goal of reducing hospitalization uh, or hospital readmissions by improving patient management. Um, you know, similar to uh, ENO at the top of the podcast for us, telehealth is an opportunity for innovation. Beyond our evaluation or assessment of telehealth services offered by our credit providers, we've had our own opportunity to implement an aspect of telehealth through virtual surveys. We've had, we had conceptualized this type of solution for some time. COVID-19 just forced us to implement it sooner rather than later. Uh, I believe that virtual surveys will be around long after COVID is controlled and behind us. It will provide an opportunity to increase the touch points we have with our customers, helping them achieve continuous compliance in a better way. It's it's interesting that both um, the surveyors or the providers in a in a healthcare setting um, and those receiving services on the other end seem to like this as a solution, despite. Um, the mental effort that goes into it. Uh, one of the things that both Doug and Josh mentioned was having to transition from bedside manner to website manner, mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was a really interesting phrase. And it's and it's not dissimilar in a survey situation um, because our process is so relationship based. Um, it's a little easier to form those relationships when you're face to face in the same room than when you're talking across a screen. Absolutely. And, and I think that ultimately, though, the, the benefit is the patient, right? The patient is the one that benefits from this because their engagement is for a few minutes at a time. And so they don't have to go get in their car and travel and um, and do all that. And so that it simplifies the process for them, which that's ultimately why medical providers are in the business they're in. It's why we're in the business that we're in is to benefit the patient. And so um, the, the patients definitely benefit. We have to figure out how to make it so it's not so tiring that it's sustainable. Um, and I think the reason that it's not going away, that it will only expand into the future is because the patient does in fact benefit and they will demand the service, um, which I think again is good for everyone. Yeah, and so you've kind of segued into where I was gonna go next. Um, when we have gotten to the other side of this pandemic, telehealth isn't going to go away. So um, what do you think is the, the ongoing role for an accrediting organization like ACHC with regard to telehealth across a diversity of settings? Because at this point, um, we're only really addressing it in, in some programs. Yeah, and, and I think I partially touched on this earlier, and it really comes down to two factors that I think that accreditation has a or can have a significant impact. Um, one is consistent quality of care. Uh, you need to have standards in place, uh, and you need to make sure that organizations are being held to certain standards um, that ensures that quality is there. Patients assume it's there. But I think as providers, we need to make sure that that is in fact the case, because as, as I said earlier, if, and this is one of the reasons I equated it to medical tourism, um, it's a great solution as long as it goes well, as long as the results are what we would expect them to be. If, if the results aren't what we expect them to be, then it really takes a step backwards. And I don't think anybody wants it to take a step backwards. I think patients want it, like I said earlier, I think providers see it as, um, more efficient process. 
and and the ability to touch more more people and and have a greater public benefit from all this and and there's benefits to all of that and so that being the case i think it really is about having an independent outside organization that has well developed standards that those standards were collaboratively developed with key opinion leaders in the market be able to deliver a solution that is consistent and that ensures as much as possible anyway that there is quality in the delivery of that solution the other aspect is the fraud piece, and, and I touched on this earlier as well. As a market evolves and it creates opportunities, uh, inevitably, it's a minority, but there are bad apples that are looking to take advantage of the situation. And I think that uh, accreditation can also play a key role in minimizing that. It doesn't get rid of it. And in no segment have we ever been able to get rid of fraud, but the ability to minimize it significantly, I think should be in everyone's interest. And you know, we've seen situations where OIG and others have gotten involved in, um, in areas that are prone to fraud. And we have an opportunity here with accreditation to make sure that that is minimized because you have an independent organization coming in on a regular basis and making sure that you are not just meeting the requirements on that particular day, although it is a snapshot in time, but that we sh we can see evidence that it is about continuous uh, compliance. And that's gonna make organizations that are doing it right stand out from those that have other motives. So it's all about sustainability. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think that that's good for everybody. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for taking time to join me today, and I look forward to the next opportunity to talk. Beyond the Standard is a production of Accreditation Commission for Healthcare, providers of accreditation services for a wide range of community-based healthcare providers, including home health, pharmacy, demi-pose, home infusion therapy, behavioral health, palliative care, hospice, and renal dialysis, as well as hospitals, laboratories, and ambulatory surgery centers. Each episode of Beyond the Standard takes a look at an impactful idea for healthcare provider organizations. We're especially interested in those that help organizations improve as they seek to meet the needs of their communities and the patients that depend on them. ACHC is by providers for providers. Before you go, share your feedback by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and check out our schedule so you don't miss upcoming episodes. For more information about ACHC accreditation, visit achc.org. While you're there, you can subscribe to this podcast and sign up for our newsletters.